0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is green and gold history. (laughs) 50-plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. A's
1: are the world champions.
0: This is A's baseball. This is green and gold history.
1: Time now for a little green and gold history with Dave Feldman, our A's historian, as we continue our series on top 10, the best top 10 at each position. And today, we go with the closers. Top 10 Oakland A's closers of all time.
2: And, you know, the closing position
1: a lot of it was defined by what happened in Oakland,
2: right? You didn't really have that so-called one-guy ending ball games until Raleigh Fingers took that mantle in the early 70s. And then that position was slowly changed with, with Dennis Eckersley in the late 80s, the way closers were used, and we still see them used today. So the closing position has a lot of roots uh, here in Oakland.
1: Absolutely love it. And before we get to the top 10, always fun where we do your honorable mention.
2: Uh, some closers who didn't quite make the list, guys like Octavio Dottel, uh A's All-Star, Bill Cottle, Dave Beard. Dave Beard, who was the A's closer uh, in the early 80s for a team that had nothing but complete games. So Dave Beard didn't get much work. Uh, Brad Ziegler, Bob Lacey, and then a couple current guys, Santiago Casilla, Ryan Madsen. All did fine jobs for, at one time or another, but not quite good enough to make the list.
1: Yeah, I, I bet we could have one of these lists with, like, every single, every single team has had just a bunch of different guys that really got a, a cup of coffee to be their closer.
2: Yeah, you know, if people talk about now that, you know, pitching the ninth inning is no different than pitching the eighth inning or the seventh inning, and that's so wrong. Right, because the ninth inning is different. It's a different beast, and you have to have a different mentality to pitch that ninth inning because you have no safety net. If you don't do your job, your team's going to lose, where if you're in the seventh or eighth inning, you can give up the lead or give up some runs, and your team still has chances to come back. Uh, The ninth inning, you don't have that, so you need a certain type of pitcher. I remember in the late 90s, uh, the A's were trying to find a closer. This was after they got rid of Dennis Eckersley, and they brought in guys like Mark Aker, and John Briscoe to try and close. I remember talking to to Art Howe, the A's manager, and he would would tell me stories of going to the mound in the ninth inning and seeing the look in, like, Mark Aker's face, just pure terror. That this guy who was lights out when he was pitching in the eighth inning, you put him in the ninth, there's just no way he's going to get the job done. It's just a different mentality to be a closer.
1: No doubt about it, and that's why you see guys—they have runs where they're very good in the ninth inning, and then they lose it mentally. They still have the same stuff, but as you said, there's a finality to the to, to being a closer. It's the end of the game, and guys can have the exact same stuff, but they lose it mentally, and they end up losing their closing job.
2: Yeah, it really is. It's so much more of a mental position to be in, and some guys are just—they're built for it, or, or they just take to it. I think we saw that last year with Liam Hendricks. When he finally got a chance to be an everyday closer, he just took to it. Right? He took to being that guy on the mound, just throwing heat and, and blowing guys away and with no fear. Yeah, he blew some games. right? He gave back-to-back home runs at Yankee Stadium uh, to lose a game. But he comes right back with that same fierce mentality where you see other guys, they fail once and they never get it back.
1: All righty, let's get to our top ten. Number ten. All right, we're actually going to start with two guys who just
2: missed outside, the 11 and 12 guys. Uh, and Number 12 was Billy Taylor. Billy Taylor had 100 saves with the A's. That's a lot of saves. But they were saves for very bad A's teams between 96 and 99. This is a guy who didn't make his major league debut until he was 32. Uh, and why he didn't make the list for a guy with 100 saves, uh, because anytime it was a big game in a big moment, Billy Taylor couldn't get the job done. And he was one of those guys who, who could pitch in the ninth, but he wasn't good enough to, you know, Jacob's field when it was rocking with those Indians teams, no chance. Billy Taylor was getting out of there alive. So he, he doesn't make it. And the other guy at number 11 is Jay Howell and Jay Howell was the A's closer in 85, 86, and 87, uh, 85. He was an all-star. He was also an all-star in 87, actually lost the all-star game, took the loss. And the reason he doesn't make the list is just because of injuries. Uh, he was never able to be healthy enough. He had a nice 85 season, but didn't quite uh, follow through in 86 and 87. So number 10 is Blake Trinan. And one unbelievable year of the A's closer in 2018, right? The 0.78 ERA, which is still the lowest ERA ever for any pitcher with 80 or more innings pitch. 0.78. 21 walks, 100 strikeouts and only 80 innings. Opponents only hit 158, and that year is just too good, too dominant to be ignored. I mean, he was 38 saves that season, and then you look back at 2017 when he came over in the trade with the Nationals, you know, he went 13 for 16 and saves at the end of that year with a 2.13 ERA, so he kind of gave us a preview of what 2018 was going to be like. And even last year, and it was a rough year for Blake Trine, and we know that, but He was still able to put 16 saves together and was still very good in April and through most of May. Um, But I think that 2018 season, that's just too great, too dominant to be ignored.
1: Yeah, and and once again, you talk about the mental aspect of it. I mean, just to go from having one of the greatest years of all time to then having a 4.91 ERA was really shocking.
2: Yeah, and the stuff, and you just talked about it too, the stuff looked the same. Right, But he wasn't throwing as many strikes. And I think that's where it really got him, that he was falling behind consistently and he had to come in with more of a, a two-seam or four-seam fastball that was going to get hit, where he couldn't rely on that, that devastating slider that we saw the year before. Uh, credit to the hitters for laying off some tough pitches, but you know, trying to give up a few more home runs. He was, he was laying the ball in there a little bit more than we saw the year before. And then mentally, I think it did take its toll. I think the, the outing at Yankee Stadium in the wild card game at the end of 2018 where he gave up some big hits, and he talked to Susan Slusser about it and she wrote an article, that stayed with him all winter. I don't think he's ever really quite got over that.
1: Yeah, we'll see what he does with the Dodgers. He got his $10 million and uh, good luck to him. All right, Blake yeah. in number 10. Who do we have for number 9? Number 9 is Keith Fulton.
2: And another guy with one year that was just, again, too dominant to be ignored, and that was 2003. He was an all-star. He was the fireman of the year. He was the aids relief pitcher of the year. 9-1 record, 2.0 ADRA, 43 out of 48. So he blew five games. But here's the kicker on that. The A's won four of those five games where he blew a save and never once – Did he take the mound with the lead and leave the mound trailing in the regular season? It never happened. So even if he blew a save, he saved the tie, and he gave the A's that chance to win. Never suffered a walk-off loss, right? That is unbelievable for a closer who pitched as much as he did. Now, that's the caveat. Game four of the ALDS at Fenway Park against the Red Sox, the only time he took the mound, with the lead and left trailing when he gave up the two-run double to David Ortiz. So bad time to have that first happen. But the regular season, he was just too good. He was just, you know, he wasn't a fireballer. Keith Folk was a guy who got by with off-speed pitches and fooling you and taking your timing off. But 43 for 48, never leaving the mound trailing, unbelievable season by Keith Polk
1: Yeah, he had a great changeup.
2: Unbelievable changeup. And that's what really hurt him in the in the playoffs against the Red Sox he wasn't able to pitch, his, throw his changeup because he was having back problems, and he talked about it that he had to just go fastball, fastball. Gives up the double off the wall to Nomar, then the double to Ortiz. He just he wouldn't throw the changeup, and he, he he kept saying he wasn't healthy enough to throw it.
1: Yeah, this, just so many odd moments in A's playoff history, awesome. especially from 2000 on that uh, we have seen. All right, number eight.
2: Number eight was a guy who the A's traded away to get Keith Folk, and that was Billy Koch. And Billy Koch in 2002 was the man for that A's team. Uh, he was acquired before the 2002 season for Eric Hinsky and Justin Miller. He had a pretty good closer for the Blue Jays. But in 2002, he takes it to another level because he wasn't just a one-inning closer, and he wasn't just a one-day closer, I need a break. This guy pitched in 84 games. He threw over 93 innings. At one point during the season, he had saves in five straight games, also saves on four straight days, which is unheard of. I mean, Art Howe was saying, I can't pitch him today. He's pitched four days in a row already. Nope. Close game. He's getting Billy Koch in there. And and everybody remembers the 20-game win streak the A's had in 2002. What they tend to forget is in the summer, they had a streak where they won 16 out of 17 games. Unbelievable streak, 16-1, and Billy Koch is out there, and I believe he saved 11 of those games. And he was just – he was a guy at the end of the game who just closed it out. He was also the Role's Relief Man Award winner, the Sporting News Fireman of the Year. Uh, just, in, in, I think everybody remembers the game at Fenway Park where Terrence Long goes over the wall to rob Manny Ramirez, and there's Billy Koch running halfway out the center field to give Terrence Long a hug. He was so into it. He was beloved by his teammates. He was usually one of the first guys at the ballpark. Uh, Billy Koch, unbelievable in 2002, and that's why he checks in at number eight.
1: Oh, this year is just, my God, 44 saves. 11 and four was his record. The fact that he threw in 84 games is crazy.
2: As a closer, 84 games. And he just wanted the ball. He never refused it. And I, I believe there was one game. During the season where Art Howell told Billy Koch not to come to the ballpark. Literally, <laughs> don't come. Because if you're there, I'm going to see you. You're going to want to pitch, and I'm going to want to put you in. Because that, that's what he was like.
1: Yeah, he got MVP votes that year. Yeah, he was
2: such a force on on that A's team. Uh, you know, during the streak, yeah, he, did, he blew the save. In game number 20, he gives up a hit to Luis Alessia, who's an A's killer. When we do top 10 A's killers, you know Luis Alessia is going to be on that list. But uh, just a tremendous season by Billy Koch. All right,
1: number seven.
2: Number seven is Sean Doolittle. You know, uh, it's just an amazing story. I, I don't think it gets enough credit when we think back on it. You know, he was a first-round pick of the A's as a first baseman in 2007. And in 2008... Is really his one full minor league season as a first baseman. He hit 286, 22 bombs, drove in 91. He was going to be the guy to replace Derek Barton as the A's first baseman. That's how good a hitter he was. He was no joke, right? But then the knee injury, he, he, he's, he's not able to swing the bat anymore, reinvents himself as a pitcher, a fireballing pitcher. Uh, In 2012, he's in the minors, 25 innings, only eight hits, seven walks, 48 strikeouts. It couldn't be ignored. So the A's bring him up in June. Major League debut, he strikes out three of the four Texas Rangers he faces. Uh, Just a, a force in the A's bullpen. Not always the everyday closer at this point, but in 2014, he takes over as the closer. Goes 22 for 26, eight walks, 89 strikeouts. Eight walks, 89 strikeouts for a guy who's been only pitching now for really three-plus seasons. He's an all-star that year. Uh, Shaw Doolittle, plus he's got the right field. Bleacher's going crazy. Uh, Fans love him. Uh, 2015, there's some injuries starting to pop up. So he shares the closer role with Tyler Clippard, And then 2016 and 17, he shares it with Ryan Madsen. But in the end, Shaw Doolittle, it's just an amazing story and now he's a world series champion to cap it all off.
1: And one hell of a guy. He really really is a superhuman being.
2: And, and that's exactly right. The things that he does off the field, the things he's doing with reading,
1: you know,
2: going around every city going to local bookstores and 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 tweeting about it and getting people involved, him and his wife, the stuff they do off the field it is so noteworthy. And and it's a guy I, I I continue to root for. I hope other A's fans do, do too. He was so beloved as an A's pitcher. There's no reason to stop watching the win the world, win the World Series, and be a part of that. It's really special.
1: Yeah, that was, and also uh, Kurt Suzuki to see him get, get the ring. You know, because you know at one point we are not sure how long Kurt was going to keep playing. But you know, you get to know these guys, and you and you get to know the ones who are really good people. And to see those two guys get get a ring was really cool.
2: Yeah, Suzuki's had an unbelievable career, too. A guy who came up in 2007, right? 14 years in the big leagues, and a couple times it looked like his career was over. And now he's starting for a World Series champion. That's that's a heck of a story.
1: All righty, number six, all-time closers for Oakland A's. Number six is now the pitching coach for the
2: San Francisco Giants, and that's Andrew Bailey. And I think people kind of forget about Andrew Bailey and forget about how good he was with the A's. Because, again, not great A's teams in the late aughts, as I guess we're calling them. In 2009, he's a rookie of the year. A 1.84 ERA, an all-star. Saves 26 of 30 games. 2010, he's an all-star again. 1.47 ERA. 25 of 28. Uh, In 2011, again, an injury-filled year, he's still 24 for 26. But think about this. He is the Oakland A's all-time leader in save percentage. He saved 89.3% of the games he was asked to close. 75 of 84. He's the all-time leader. Uh, I think he just kind of gets lost, right, because of the injuries and the way he kind of left the A's, uh, gets replaced. The A's start to become a winning club in 2012 once he's gone. But he was he was a dominant pitcher for the Athletics, and I don't think anybody remembers
1: yeah, that would be a good trivia question because you know, immediately you're going to think Eck. You're going to think Raleigh. You're thinking Hall of Famers. You're not thinking Andrew Bailey.
2: No, not at all. He was efficient. Uh, you know, he, he didn't throw all that hard, but he had a nice little cut to his ball that made it hard to hit. Um, you know, it's tough when you're on – closers on bad teams get overlooked a lot because really what pressure is on you. That's what a lot of fans think, but there's a lot of pressure. Because it's one of your few chances to get a win. So you need to close it out to get that ball club the win. And he was as good. Well, obviously, he was better than anybody as far as percentage goes at closing out games.
1: Pretty incredible. And now an opportunity. I mean, that's one thing. You know, they, they, they talked about his pitching mind down there in Anaheim. We're going to get to see it up here.
2: Yeah, the Giants, I think, you got a good one there in Andrew Bailey. He was always a student of the game. He was always learning. Uh, he was always talking to people. Uh, you know, a really good communicator just as a player, as we knew him, uh, the way he respected everybody around him. He, he was never that – he never big-leagued anybody. He was always thankful for his position. I think the Giants are going to – they're going to get a good payoff getting Andrew Bailey as our pitching coach.
1: All righty, number five. Number five is a guy I
2: just loved, and that was Grant Balfour. Uh, and he made our all-decade list. He was the only – bullpen pitcher to make our all-decade list. And I just think what he did, taking over as the A's closer in August of 2012, finishing that year out, going 17 for 17, only six walks, 27 Ks as he closed out that, that season. And think about this. Closing out the 2012 season, the A's make the unbelievable comeback. They win the AL West. Grant Balfour retired the final 26 batters he faced in the regular season. That's almost a perfect game for for a reliever. 26 straight batters to end the year. Dominant. Comes back in 2013. He's an all-star. He only blows three saves. He's 38 for 41. And over those two years, he sets the A's record with 44 consecutive saves. Beating Eck, 44 straight saves. And again, he looked like a closer should look. He's on the mound. You can almost see the smoke coming out of his ears right field you know, bleachers going crazy, the hair going. He was scary out there. And once he took over his closer, changed everything with that A's team. And he, he wanted the job. Uh, he came over in, in 2011, and he was basically a setup guy and never really happy about it, right? Brian Fuentes was closing. And even in 2012, as you watch Ryan Cook kind of struggle at times, he always wanted the, wanted the gig. And once he got it, he took it, he ran with it, and he was as dominant over that year and a half as any closer really that the A's had seen for that long of a time since Dennis Eckersley.
1: Yeah, he was a he was a fun one. Uh, you know, that's, well, there's certain guys that, that that you love interviewing, and you never know what they're going to say. And uh, that was Grant Balfour. He w- he was fun to cover.
2: Yeah, uh, he, the Aussie in him. Yeah, uh, never knew what he was going to say. Is true. He looked like he was always going to he's always ready for a good time but all business and meanness when he took them out number 4 number 4 is jason isringhausen and jason was acquired from the mets the end of uh, at the trading deadline July 31st, 99 from billy taylor and now isringhausen he was going to be a starting pitcher right he was one of those those mets starters everyone's talking about with paul wilson uh, grant Pulsifer, it was bill Pulsifer. he was it was the next greatness of Mets pitching and it didn't work out because of injuries. But the A's got him and they saw something in him as a closer and they saw them as a closer at the end of 99. And he goes eight for eight. And when he got his closer card to me was at Yankee stadium, the end of August, he comes in to protect a one run lead in the bottom of the 11th. And now he's got the bases loaded. He's bouncing balls. And he, you could see he had that wild-eyed look. He had that Mark Aker look that he was so scared that you didn't know what was going to happen on the mound. And Mike McFarlane was the ace catcher. And Mike McFarlane goes after the mound. You know, he had seen it all. He was, he was a crash Davis-type personality. Nothing fazed him. And he kind of goes out there, and he's just like, whoa, whoa, is he? Whoa, just relax. Watch my fingers. Throw me the heater. We're going to get out of this. Goes back behind the plate. Isringhausen strikes out Posada. Then he gets Louis Soho, a possible ace killer on the list, uh, to ground out. Gets out of it. And it's like from that moment on, Jason Isringhausen was a closer. Uh, in 2000, he was 33 out of 40. He was an all-star. 2001, 34 out of 43. He, he had presence on the mound. In the postseason for the A's, he was three for three in save opportunities. Uh, he just took it again, and ran with it. He found that comfort zone that, I don't have to throw seven, eight innings, 100 pitches. I only have to go out there for three batters, throw as hard as I can, and go get them. He's, he had the big breaking ball. You know, Frank Catalanato struck out in the end of 2000 season. with uh, The A's clinching the AOS on a big breaking ball. But it was a heater that got him by. and it, it was a joy to watch a guy who had struggled so hard with his health to really be healthy and just dominate in this new position as closer
1: number three
2: number three was drafted at the university of texas as a closer in 2004 something that w- it was sort of new to baseball in the early 2000s drafting a closer and that's houston street uh, houston st- street you think about this he's a 2004 draft pick in 2005 he's already the ace closer as he takes over for octavia to in june he's the rookie of the year in 2005 5-1, 1.72 ERA, 23 saves, and then from 06, 07, 08, he's your A's closer. And he does a good job. I don't think he was ever as good as he was when he was in 2005, but he was consistent. Um, you know, even in 2006, an AL West Division title year, he was the guy who closed those games out and, and, and allowed the A's to, to pile up the victories. Uh you know once Bob Guerin took over as manager that was where kind of the the end of the road came with Houston Street because they did not see eye to eye on a lot of things and Houston let it be known that they didn't see eye to eye with Bob Guerin. And that kind of facilitated facilitated the trade to Colorado but for those years uh, Houston Street he was he was as good as they got and again drafted as a closer it was something a new a new thing you hadn't seen in baseball
1: yeah cuz it was always failed starter now a closer now, this is a guy that he had, and he had a great career with the Longhorns.
2: He did, and he was, he was fantastic. And he had a really good major league career after leaving the A's, the Rockies and the Angels. Um, I don't think he ever got to be quite as consistent, you know, as I, th- I think he wanted to be. There were still times he struggled because he wasn't a hard thrower. He definitely relied on location and movement, and sometimes that that left him. But overall – Used to straight. And now I guess he's, he's got his hands on a lot of different things after baseball. Always been an inquisitive
1: guy and interesting guy. Uh, and besides, the A's were lucky to have him when they did. All right. This is a tough call. Number <sighs> n- two Hall of Famers, who's number two? Oh, I've gone
2: back and forth over this, right? Because you got two guys, two Hall of Famers, who redefine the closing position. And so what sets one apart from the other? And for me, it had to be postseason. And because of that, coming in at number two is Dennis Eckersley. And Eck, who came over in 87, you talk about you know, a failed starter. At that point, that's kind of what Eck was. He would, had some struggles with the Cubs. He wasn't the same pitcher. We know about his alcoholism. But by the time he got to the A's, he's clean. He wants to be a starter. But Tony La Russa, he had enough starters at that point, so he puts him in the bullpen. And these are some little outings that that showed you what was to come. In June of that year, he relieved Moose Haas in a game to start the fourth inning, and he pitches six perfect innings to close out that ball game against the Indians. In his next outing, he throws five shutout innings in relief. And I think in Dave Duncan and Tony La Russa's head, they're seeing this going, this arm coming out of the bullpen is going to be so hard to hit. Because, again, you're not telling Eck, we need seven innings, eight innings out of you. We need you just to get the next guy out. And so they, Jay Hal gets hurt. They put Eck in as a closer, and you start to – the seeds were planted for what we're going to see in 88. In 88, 45 of 53, he walked only 11 batters, 70 strikeouts. In 89, he misses two months of the season, but still saves 33 games with an ERA of 1.56, three walks, 55 strikeouts. 1990, which is probably his most dominant year. Uh, He wins the AL Cy Young and the AL MVP in 92, but he was even more dominant in 1990. 48-50, he only blew two saves all year, 0.61 ERA, four walks. The entire season, four walks, 73 strikeouts. Uh, And then his MVP year, Cy Young year, 92, 51 saves, uh, only 11 walks, 93 Ks. I mean, it's that accuracy. He had 40 straight saves. This guy, he redefined the closer role. The, The A's, for a while, they were still kind of bringing him in in the eighth inning in 1988. But as the season went along, they said, you know what? We need him just to start the ninth. Clean inning, nobody on base three batters, and he was as good as it gets. So why isn't he number one? And I hate to bring it up, but postseason failures. Right? I mean, we know about Kirk Gibson. We also know about the Robbie Alomar in 92 giving up the home run. And that game, as a whole, we can do a whole show on that game because that was ridiculous. He's blowing a four-run lead in the eighth inning. But also 1990, game two, uh, giving up the single to, to, to Joe Oliver to lose that game. Um it just that's the only thing that really set Dennis Eckersley apart from number one was those few failures in the postseason, but they definitely stick out.
1: No doubt about it. And you know, when you have the history that that Raleigh had in the postseason, especially for the A's, it's it's I mean, he's greatness.
2: It is. And that's why Raleigh Fingers is my number one closer. Again, a failed starter. I mean, he started and relieved in 69 and 71. Um, But in 72, he starts working out of relief, almost full time. He had over 100 innings in relief. 72, 73, 74, 75. Five straight years of over 100 innings in relief. This is not a one-inning closer. This was a guy who would come in at any time in the game, any time there was trouble, to put out the fire uh, and and then finish the game. He was a four-time All-Star. And you look at his numbers, and he didn't have the ERA or the walk-strikeouts that Eck did, but he had the efficiency. And then the postseason, um, 27 postseason games with the A's. Uh, He was 8-for-11 in saves. So he did blow three games, but again, none of them in walk-off fashion. And the A's won all three games that he took the blown save. And a couple of those blown saves were coming in with a guy on third with one out in a one-run game, and he gives up a sack fly. So, you know, it wasn't really a, a typical blown save. It was, it was a tough situation, but he preserved the tie, and he's going to win. And he also had games in the postseason where he's throwing multiple innings, three innings in the ALCS against the Tigers in game one, three and a third in game one of the 73 World Series, three and a third in game seven of the 73 World Series. Game seven, last game of the year, he should be tired. He's throwing three and a third. And then, of course, game one of the 74 World Series. How about four and a third innings in relief of Ken Holtzman? Four and a third. And this is unheard of nowadays. But for Raleigh Fingers, that was the job. And, we, you know, as a starter, he would always get nervous. He'd get sick to his stomach. But now, as a reliever, came in a wicked slider. He had that presence on the mound. Raleigh Fingers, that's why he gets to be number one.
1: I had him on the program and I had to ask him because I read it in in one of these A's books I can't remember which one, but when he was in Kansas City with the As in a spring training game, he threw a complete game I'm like' yeah. I'm like I'm like is that real did you he goes yeah he goes back in those days can you imagine a spring training game a guy throwing a complete game
2: no I don't, I don't even imagine a guy throwing three innings in a spring, <laughs> game in a spring training <laughs> game anymore <laughs>
1: All righty. Let's go over that top 10 one more time. Number 10, Blake
2: Trinan. Number 9, Keith Folk. Number 8, Billy Koch. Number 7, Sean Doolittle. Number 6, Andrew Bailey. Number 5, Grant Balfour. Number 4, Jason Isringhausen. Number 3, Houston Street. Number 2. Dennis Eckersley, and the number one closer in Oakland A's history, Raleigh Fingers.
1: And that is your top 10 Oakland A's closers right here on Green and Gold History. Great stuff, Feldy. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Tony. Have a good day.
0: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.